You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Hear God's Word this afternoon from two passages in the New Testament, first Luke 24 and then Colossians 3. We give consideration to these passages in connection with what we confess in the Apostles' Creed and therefore also in the Heidelberg Catechism concerning our Savior being seated at the right hand of God and that He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Begin reading the last part of Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When He had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, He lifted up His hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And now we turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3, in which we read the first four verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This afternoon we give attention to our confession in Lord's Day 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is it added? And sits at the right hand of God. Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven 
the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Congregation loved by Jesus, if someone were to ask you which part of the Apostles' Creed you found most comforting and most encouraging, I would not expect you to pick these two articles of the Apostles' Creed. That he sits at the Father's right hand, well, it's true, but is it really comforting? God's right hand, that seems so far away. Christ seems so out of reach there at God's right hand in glory. And that He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Well, that too is true. Of course it is. But would I choose that as the most comforting of the articles of the Apostles' Creed? Likely not. Indeed, this portion of the Apostles' Creed we might choose to be the most unsettling, the most frightening even. For we're all going to be judged. And listen to what Paul says about that in Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, her, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Yet we call the catechism the book of comfort. That theme of comfort is established already right in the beginning, right in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And we answer that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The catechism is the book of comfort. It is a confession of comfort. So we should expect to find Comfort also in what we confess here. Well, did you know, brothers and sisters, that actually the word comfort reappears for the first time after Lord's Day 1, right here in Lord's Day 19? Yes, this is the first time after Lord's Day 1 that you will find the word comfort in the Heidelberg Catechism. We ask here in Lord's Day 19, what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? What a place to ask that question. Don't you think? And indeed, our theme this afternoon is, and this I proclaim to you, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, find comfort in Christ's reign and return. We find comfort from the Scriptures in this reality, in this confession. We find comfort in Christ's enthronement at God's right hand. We find comfort in the coming judgment of Jesus Christ when He returns again. And these things cheer us. They give us hope. They give us joy. 
Last week in Lord's Day 18, we already gave due attention to the ascension of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, and yet we saw last week, at the same time, He is always with us. He is still God with us. Next week in Lord's Day 20, you will give attention to the fact that Christ has poured out His Holy Spirit upon His church, upon believers. And the greatest gift we have from the Holy Spirit is Christ's presence. In fact, like we saw last week too in Ephesians 2 verse 6, not only is Christ here with us, dwelling in our hearts, remember like little Andrew said, dwelling in our hearts, with us. So not only is Christ with us, dwelling with us, we are also there in heaven with Him at God's right hand. Ephesians 2 verse 6 tells us that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Not we will be one day. A long time in the future we're going to be. No, it says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Christ has so closely bound Himself to us that what is true for Him is also true for you and me who believe in Jesus. Christ is enthroned and we're seated with Him. And as we read in Colossians 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Remember the camping illustration from last week? Picture Dad going ahead a day and finding a campsite at your favorite campground. And he calls back home and he says, I've got a campsite. And the rest of the family cheers and, and you say, we've got a campsite. Our place is reserved. And we can look forward to camping at our favorite campground. Yes, brothers and sisters, Christ has a spot for us who believe. We might just as well say that we're already there. Our place is reserved. It's no longer just a wish or a hope for us. It's a secure reality for us who believe. Remember, this is an article of faith, a confession of faith. Not just anyone can say this. Only those who believe in the Lord Jesus. We are seated with Christ only by faith. And that's why Paul tells us in Colossians 3, set your minds on heavenly things. Set your minds on Christ. As Lord's Day 19 says, Christ ascended into heaven to manifest Himself there as head of His church, through whom the Father governs all things. What that means is that we are united to Christ as closely as a wife is to her husband. Think of what it says in Ephesians 5, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a Savior. And remember again what we saw last week. We are united to Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. 
Christ our head is in heaven, that means we too, as His body, are already in heaven. We are one flesh with Christ. That's what you will experience and we too in Cloverdale will experience next week at the Lord's Supper table that we are one body with Christ as we eat the body and blood of Christ at the table. Where we are, He is. Where He is, we are. We are as near as what it means. Children of God, we are as near to Father as He is. And yes, that is as close as you can possibly get to the Father. Father's right hand. The Father's presence. Consider that. Consider that for a moment. We are as near to the Father as our Lord Jesus Christ is right now. We are as welcomed in the Father's presence as Christ Himself is. Christ Himself says to the Father on our behalf, Here I am, O Lord, and the children You have given Me. That's what He says about the congregation at Langley. Everyone here this afternoon That's true, brothers and sisters, not only when we pray. That's true always. In fact, that's what we're, we're called to do. We're called in Colossians 3, as we so often are, we're called to be who we are. We are called to set our minds on things above where we are, where we are at Christ's right hand. We need to make that a way of life. We need to be, be making our life here on earth a reflection of our place reserved in heaven. We need to stay focused on Christ. In our daily routines, we need to be aware of our proximity to God in Christ, of being in in God's very presence. That's the comfort in Christ's enthronement. But brothers and sisters, there's also comfort in Christ's approaching judgment. And we would be fooling ourselves, of course, if we were not deeply concerned about the day of judgment. Not only is there that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. There's also Hebrews 9 where we read that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And Jesus describes the day of judgment vividly. For example, in Matthew 25, perhaps you will turn there with me. Matthew chapter 25, there the the coming day of judgment is vividly described by Jesus Himself. 
Matthew 25, we can start reading at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. One thing is abundantly clear from this passage. Our eternal destiny will be brought into effect decisively and irrevocably. For every human being, for each one of us here this afternoon, for you and me, it will either be that we're placed on the right or on the left. We will either be grouped with the sheep or with the goats. We will either be given eternal life or we will be sent to eternal punishment. Let's not minimize it. It will be a great and terrible day. It will be awesome and it will be awful. Yes, we need to grasp the gravity of that day, but then also we need to receive the comfort of what will happen on that day. When Jesus told His disciples about the judgment that would soon come on Jerusalem and Judea, He told them they wouldn't need to fear. In fact, they could stand up and meet that day with their heads held high. Like we read in Luke chapter 21, verse 28. Like we read there, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, you don't have to run away. You who believe in Jesus, you disciples, you followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to run away, but you can lift up your head. You can stand You can greet that day and everything that will happen on it. Awful things will happen, but we will be saved who believe. Yes, it's the same for us as we confess in Lord's Day 19. In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment seat of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. 
In all my sorrow and persecution, in all my trials and troubles, I lift up my head, I stand, and I eagerly await as judge from heaven, Jesus. Because then, our redemption is near. But how can we be sure? How can we be sure that we will be grouped on the right hand with the sheep and not on the left hand with the goats? How do we know that we will be welcomed into glory and not consigned to everlasting punishment? Well, the answer is, as always, children of God, Christ. Because of Christ. Remember that first question and answer of the Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. We belong to Christ. And that's why we can stand on the day of judgment and lift up our heads because the One who's coming to judge is Jesus to whom we belong. The One who is coming to judge heaven and earth, children, is Jesus who loves you. Jesus in whose name you were baptized. He is the One who is going to come and judge you. It is Jesus, your Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross and who rose again for you, brother, for you, sister. He is the one who will be coming back. He is the one who knows you through and through. He is the one who has named you, who has saved you. And He is going to judge you. Remember what He's saying before the Father? We heard it last week, didn't we? Father, I died for this person's sin. I died for his sins. I've paid for her sins. They're not guilty. And what does God answer? And Satan says, no, 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 they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty, God. Jesus says, no, they're not guilty. And who wins that court case? It's the Lord Jesus who died for your sins and who rose for your salvation. After telling us in Colossians 3 to set our minds on things above in heaven where Christ our Advocate is, Paul says in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Not in hell, but in glory. Now, how is Christ going to appear? Well, we're not told the details, but we are told that it will be glorious, that it will be comforting for believers. Remember what happened when Christ left the earth, when He ascended into heaven? We're told that in Acts 1 that when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, there were angels there and and a cloud came and 
And Jesus went up and the cloud hid Jesus from their sight and there Jesus went into heaven. And remember what the angels told the disciples in Acts 1. The angels told the disciples, why do you stand there with your mouth open and looking up into heaven like that? He'll come back in the same way. The angels promised the disciples that Jesus Christ would return in the same way. Just as He left. Okay, so how did Jesus leave the earth? Well, yes, He he left on a cloud, so He's going to be coming back on the clouds. He will... He'll come riding on the clouds when He returns. But remember how He also left. We read that in Luke 24. As He ascended into heaven, He had His hands up. His his hands were lifted up above the disciples. He was blessing His disciples as He left the earth. He was blessing them with uplifted hands. And he could do that because those same hands had been lifted up on the cross. Those same hands were the hands that, that still bore the holes from the nail marks. That still showed the evidence of his suffering and death for their salvation. Those pierced hands. And therefore Jesus could bless the disciples as he ascended into heaven. And that's how he's going to come back too with His hands uplifted, blessing us. And we will see the evidence in those pierced hands that He has died for our salvation. By lifting up His hands as He ascended, Jesus was really telling the disciples, there is now no more condemnation for you. You don't have to die anymore. I've died for your sins. See the holes. See my hands. You're justified. You're forgiven. You're innocent. Because of my finished work on the cross. Brothers and sisters, think about that every time at the end of the worship service when the minister raises his hands and gives you the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. See the pierced hands of your Savior saying, for you who believe there is now no more condemnation. Your Savior died for you. Your Savior was put to death for you. And He now lives and is seated at God's right hand, and He is the one who's going to come to judge you. And you know what He's going to say. Same thing. There is no more condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many sins you've committed. I don't care how black or checkered your life is. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no more condemnation. And that's how He's going to return. Hands uplifted. Greeting us with peace. We see Christ returning to judge us. We are also beholding the One who lifted God's judgment from us. And Christ will say, 
He will say this, like we read in Matthew 25, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's something to stand up for, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, children. That's something to lift up your head for and eagerly await, isn't it? Yes, even in your deepest sorrow, even in your sickness, even in your sadness, even in your grief, to stand up and lift up your head and look forward to that day, to look at the clouds when you see them. Say, I wonder which cloud it's going to be that Jesus is coming back on. Do you long for Christ's return? Are you standing up? Head lifted up? Make sure you see Him. He comes back. That's what you should do the next time you're waiting at the stoplight. Well, you better keep an eye on the, on the uh, traffic light, but take some time to look at the sky. Or when you're going for a walk, look up at the sky. Be waiting. Be longing for Christ to return. Yes, the Gospel regarding the judgment, the coming judgment of Christ is comfort. But you see, there is a difference between being comforted and getting comfortable. The Gospel is not suggesting, nor is the Catechism suggesting, and therefore I am not suggesting that you get comfortable now. Sometimes we don't like to think about the coming judgment. Especially when we're getting comfortable in our lives. Life is so good. May we begin to get so comfortable that we begin to see Christ's return as a threat to our pleasures and our plans, and then, then secretly we think, "Well, I really want Jesus to return, but you know, first I, I want to do this. Uh, I want to graduate from university, or I want to get married, or I want to have another child, or I want to see my grandkids." We see Christ's return as a threat to life as it is or life as we still hope it will be. Instead of doing that, instead of getting comfortable, we need to live in the comfort of Christ's coming. Let's set our minds on the things above. Let's set our minds on the better spot that there is for us. Don't get comfortable in your pews. Children, young people, don't get comfortable or secure in your position as those who believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, find comfort in the Gospel, but then stay alert. Stand on guard. Be watchful. Remember, Satan is is still prowling around. He's still whispering in your ears, trying to lure you away. Don't listen to Him. Listen to your Savior Jesus. Remember that He is with you and that you are with Him 
in God's presence. Remember who you are, sanctified in Christ, washed in the blood of the Lamb, one for whom Christ shed His blood, one for whom Christ had His hands pierced and His head crowned with thorns. Remember, there's a better spot for you. No matter how bad or how good your place in this earth is, there's a better spot waiting for you. Place reserved. Lord Jesus Christ is there. Father has reserved the spot for you. So don't be surprised, alarmed, or afraid about the coming day of the Lord, but be ready and waiting with heads lifted up, with songs of joy on your hearts, with your eyes looking for His salvation. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.